This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Frida Liu. You're listening to Her Vantage. And this way we speak to women of influence and leadership. We're speaking to the folks at Catalyst again. And for those of you who don't know Catalyst, uh, Catalyst drives change with preeminent thought leadership, actionable solutions, and a galvanized community of multinational corporations to accelerate and advance women into leadership because progress to women is progress for everyone. So over the course of its history, Catalyst has evolved and now focuses on four critical areas in its mission to advance women into leadership positions, demonstrate how to lead for equity and inclusion, engage men as gender partners, and look ahead to women and the future of work. So a small U.S.-based organization grew into a formidable multi-regional presence, and it celebrates the 60th anniversary this year. And as new challenges emerge, our Catalyst continues to address them. I'm here with Alison Zimmerman once again, Executive Director for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, and it's good to, to see you again, Alison. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Hi. And I love having these conversations ever so often to get myself updated on things, <laughs> right? And of course, our conversation today is around gendered ageism, uh, which is a whole new phenomenon. But we'll get to that in just a moment because there's so many things to unpack. Um, first of all, congratulations, 60th anniversary. If you And you've been with the organization for a while, but um, what would you say would have been the milestones um, in its 60th, 60 years of existence? It's a great question. When I think about, you know, 60 years, I think our founder probably didn't think we would still be in this space when she opened it. Um, and, but there has been, there's, has been incredible progress from 1962 till now globally for women. But one could argue it's still quite slow. And when I think about milestones that Catalyst has gone through, I think initially it helps to look back and see when Catalyst was created, much of the focus was on helping women get into the workplace. But as we progressed, you know, we noticed that it wasn't simply getting into the workplace. They needed to be welcomed in the workplace. They needed to right. be seen, you know, equal to men in the workplace. Right. And, and so when I think of milestones, I think 19, in the late 1980s, I believe it was 1987, we started we really did a massive shift where we focused on companies. How can we help companies create change um, and, and be more inclusive? So we started awarding them. And to win the Catalyst Award takes 500 hours of review. Many right. companies who apply later, even if they win, they often say, I'm not sure I would ever do that again, because I mean, it's, we go to their office. We, well, now we'll, it's slightly different um, after the pandemic, but typically we would visit multiple sites of a company. Mm. We would visit from the most junior level to the most senior level to the right. CEO to find out how is it really lived versus mm. the, the perception of what you put in writing. And right. why I say that is I think that had a big shift focusing mm. on the companies. But as we progressed into the last years, um, and, and I've been with Catalyst for a total of um, 14 years, and I came in as a consultant and then worked as staff. And one of the things that I've noticed is that shift from the what, you know, what's the challenge 
even the shift from the why do we need to create change? And it's much of the work we do with corporations is on the how. How do we create change? We know there's a problem, but how do we implement change? Right. And, and, you know, you were just saying that in the 60 years and how it just started was getting women into the workplace. And once you got women into the workplace, were they getting equal pay? Were Mm. they being treated fairly? You know, were they getting managerial positions? Right. I mean, it just... And and it started with that, but you know, new mm. challenges arise, I guess, right? And we yeah. and we're seeing new challenges again. And what a wish, like you know, I was saying, talk about gen- gendered ageism, which we'll discuss in just a moment. And I think maybe it concerns <laughs> me a little bit more now. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, I'm over fifty, and boy, I'm looking at gendered ageism quite a bit, <laughs> right? A little bit. Yeah. We're paying attention to a little bit more seriously. <laughs> Now, um, one of the things as well, because you were saying, you know, the four uh, areas that you look at and getting getting organizations involved, getting men involved, right? Um, and Catalyst began the Men Advocating Real Change Initiative and gained uh, a, a donation from Chevron, right? Um, yes. Which is great, which allows you to do the work. Now, why is this, uh, I guess, this contribution important uh, to Catalyst in this conversation as we're trying to make this change? Engaging men is so important. And of course, we're grateful to Chevron for the contribution they gave because it allows us not only to dig deeper into research, but also create, um, you know, create work that can really impact. What's so important about engaging men is they, in most organizations globally, hold the power. And they also... They, they, the majority of the most senior leadership roles are held by men. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for too long, we, I wouldn't say so much catalyst in this way, but for too long, women were speaking to women about things women already knew. And mm-hmm. you really need to engage the dominant group. And if you mm-hmm. think of any, if you think of non-dominant group and dominant group or in-group and out-group, you could find, right. you know, many different ways to explain this. You never want it to be that the non-dominant group is telling the dominant group what they need mm. to do. The, the responsibility must fall on the dominant group. So in most organizations globally, it, they are men. And what blocks men, they're, of course, we've done research We've been doing research on engaging men since, um, I believe, 2009 was one of the first. Um, for, and we've looked at what were the fears that men faced. And what we, what we know is, you know, there are a lot of fears, but we also know that what engages them is one of the, the key predictors is a sense of fair play. And right. so understanding, wait a minute, this is not fair. And that's a key predictor. And having a woman mentor, but it's not having daughters, which we we often back in the day when we asked, mm. we never, that wasn't the reason what engaged them. And, you know, one could argue men have been having daughters for, for eons. So, it, right. but it was when you speak individually with men, especially in Europe, we hear this all the time. My daughter, I think about my daughter. So um, there are, I think very individually there can be factors there, but not what we found in our research. Right. And as, would your research be more focused in Europe and America? I mean, the last time we spoke, we talked about even culturally, right, what may be mm. advancements in certain area may not be advancement in other parts of the world. 
Absolutely. So when we look at our longitudinal studies, for example, we, we looked at high potentials in the workplace. We still reference these studies because even though they ended in 2015, this one, it's still extremely relevant when we look at the findings. And they were, they're global, those studies. So um, I believe from APEC, it was 39% of the respondents of the overall 10,000 mm-hmm. MBA grads. And um, I, I have to double check that stat, but I know it was very much a global study. And so we did do deeper dives, of course, into Japan, into research historically, as well as India. But we also continue to do these global studies um, that, you know, for example, on in inclusive leadership, we did a study where we looked at um, Australia, China, Mexico, India, Germany, Canada, and the U.S. And that was one really getting deeper into inclusive leadership. Um, so, yes, there are, I would say there are probably historically more from the U.S., mm-hmm. um, definitely. But overall, I think that's why we work with so many global organizations is because we also have that global um, pool that we pick from um, in terms of research. And um, it varies. I mean, we're doing a global world report coming out soon that looks, I want to say 14 countries, but I'll have to double check. But I know it in, it's countries across the world that we've looked at. It's important right. to get that research because it's not going to be helpful if it's all American. Right. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, gendered ageism after this. <laughs> I'm here with Alison Zimmerman from Catalyst. Stay tuned to Her Vantage BFM 89.9. Best for money. BFM 89.9. Good morning. This is Frida Liu. If you've just joined us, we're listening to Her Vantage, and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm speaking to Alison Zimmerman from Catalyst. She's executive director for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And Catalyst celebrates her 60th anniversary this year. This is something that started six years ago with Catalyst when it was a simple case of just trying to get women to join the workforce. And of course, once you've got women, women in the workforce, there were other issues, like if there was equal pay, and then if they were holding leadership positions. Now a new, well, maybe not such a new phenomenon, is this whole concept mm-hmm. of gendered ageism. And we'll just talk about ageism as it is first, yeah. right? And how has this been an issue? Is this something new? Or has it been accelerated or accentuated because we've got we have started calling people or putting people in groups of millennials and, and of course, mm-hmm. boomers and all that. And has that, by boxing people, have brought this issue to light or made this an issue? Well, I think that we often have a lot of perceptions about generations that mm-hmm. can be stereotypes. And we've done research and we've looked at millennials. We found out that a lot of the perceptions that people have, for example, of millennials are simply not true. Um, for example, they love flexible work. We do know that, that that is a bonus for having more flexible options. But there were a lot of things such as they, they job hop, they don't want to stay with one job. That's just not true. 
So you're right. When we when we put people in buckets, and let's be honest, nobody belongs in a bucket. But when we when we do differentiate by generations, we we do have that that inclination to start mm. to label people and see them based on some stereotype. But ageism, we have to step back and look at the aging population and right. see ageism through the lens of what's happening in the world. And as birth rates decline, um, we see the older population becoming the larger demographic in different parts of the world. And so ageism is often, we, we hear about the younger generation facing ageism in the workplace, that they're seeing that they don't have expertise or, you know, right. it's like going on an airplane and seeing a pilot doesn't have gray hair and you assume, you know, does he, does right. he or she have that experience? It's, right. you can see the bias just coming in, in how you look at it. But the same, the same thing happens with the older generation. Mm. And maybe because I'm part of the older generation, then I'm, I'm paying closer attention <laughs> to this. But there is research showing that the older generation in different aspects is facing more discrimination. They're being put out to pasture after a certain age or they're not right. being considered. And so I usually say it's both sides when you think mm -hmm. about the younger generation, but also the older generation. And culturally, it can vary greatly. It can be in some cultures. Yeah. Um, the older generation may be valued more and may be seen like they have more opportunities. In other cultures, you will see the younger generation. But I would bring in one aspect, the industry, the sector. I can mm. tell you, if I go to mm. some fast-moving consumer goods company right. or even right. consulting firms, you're going to see they're going to they're be discriminating more towards the younger generation. And so right. it's really getting curious, not only about the culture, but also mm -hmm. looking at it from an industry and a sector point of view. You can see what's valued. Okay, what's what's the other danger in that? I mean, is it the assumption that the, the older you are, the more experienced you are, therefore you will cost more? Well, that's part of it. The fastest growing labor pool is older workers, and they're the ones reporting a rise in age discrimination more than younger workers. And mm. so it's in Europe, it's the most common type of discrimination. And there are studies that showing um, that people are very worried. So yes, your question, are they, they're more costly. So that's one aspect. Mm. Absolutely. And, and it's not only in Europe, this is in the US, this is globally. I will say in some parts of the world, I remember speaking with my pension planner here in, in Switzerland, and he made a comment to me that I did not expect to hear. He's like, you need to really stay in this role until you're 55. And because then, you know, you get this percentage and this percentage. And I was a bit uncomfortable. And I thought, right. oh my gosh, is my employer looking at me that way? Is it, right. you know, and, and I had to look at it from the point of view of companies for example, here. Right. So cost is one factor, but there are also stereotypes and biases that you can see memes made about older generation. Mm. You can see, you know, jokes, you can see ageism being weaponized. So this perception of not being smart or not being able to do something, mm. I think we have to call that out. 
we have to right. be really clear that that is inappropriate. It's discriminatory and it, it reflects a prejudice someone may have. And, right. um, and that's something that I think the older generation is, is also facing. So not right. only costs, this perception on their ability or misperception. Right. And of course, the double whammy, gendered ageism. Women yeah. get it tougher. Yeah. I mean, when we think what is gendered ageism, it's ageism is defined as a stereotype and prejudice and discrimination against people right. on the basis of their age. Well, gendered ageism refers to differences in ageism faced by women and men. Mm. And so the term gendered ageism covers that intersectionality of age and gender bias. Ageism hits women earlier and harder. And it affects women and men at, at similar rates and ages. But for example, age 40 for women compared to age 45 for men in the UK. Now, can you imagine age 40? I mean, it's, I, I turn 53 next month and I'm, I just am shocked that, I mean, age 40 is like the prime. Right, right. <laughs> you know, in most geography. So I was fascinated in the UK, they had this study where they were showing where ageism affects women. It affects women five years earlier than men. And I want to call out something that on ageism that affects women. The older women face marginalization based on lookism or gender mm. youthful beauty standards. And so in one study, women managers reported feeling pressure to adhere to societal beauty standards and maintain right. a young look. And as example, women are most likely, twice as likely as men to feel compelled to dye their hair. Um, not right. me at this moment, but <laughs> it's getting there. Right. And, and okay, so I'm going to ask, what are the opportunities missed by companies if they don't pay attention to this? Are they going to be missing out on talent because of Absolutely. these biases? Absolutely. I mean, that's the heart of it. It's really about looking broader and wider of the talent you have. It's not just looking for some quote, I quote, ideal candidate. Um, there was a study, I believe, in 2013 that they looked deeper, they looked at productivity, and they found that the higher level of productivity came when you had that mix of ages in right. the workplace. But another point coming to the talent that we are in, and, and we notice, for example, in the United States, there is the great resignation. But yeah. we are hearing about it in Europe. I don't know. In, in Asia. Maybe, yeah. And so while there are, we're, we have more studies coming out looking deeper at this, this is something I have, I, in the 14 years I've been working in this space, have never heard it to this degree of the talent mm. shortage. I just heard of a bank, you know, bringing back retirees in Switzerland right. and bringing back some key talent they lost because they are struggling. They lost so much talent that they, are bringing them out of retirement. But it's also recognizing that age is such a ridiculous criteria of what we think, you know, good looks like. And mm. recognizing that, yes, of course, maybe one skill set may be predominantly stronger in, in, in different groups and different ages and different genders, whatever. But it's not a predictor of what somebody is good at. We might have a stereotype of somebody that they may good at, and they may not be. 
and mm. looking at people individually, at their contributions and what they can bring can be so powerful. So while we saw historically when companies were losing women um, and they looked deeper, they realized that they created returnships and, and creating a situation that they can catch up on maybe the latest insights and latest learnings in their role, but in the same breath, they have that safe space to grow and develop. And so companies were seeing that as a benefit. So I guess understanding this now, what can organizations do so that they're more wary about, you know, steps that they can take so that they, they don't put on these filters when applicants or looking for applicants? I think there are many things companies can do. I mean, first of all, you know, look at your how you are recruiting and look for aspects. So it could be, for example, your job descriptions. From you know, many companies when when they were trying to, for example, attract more women, there's there's so much research showing that if you use more gender balanced, it's not necessarily gender neutral, but more gender balanced language, they will attract more women. And it seems like a small thing to say that, but it's a it's very it's very large because language matters. And so we also want to look at that recruitment of looking at older employees, for example, having maybe a more diverse group of not only interviewers, but being aware that from the front end, you do enough work that you can bring in the talent and you can reduce the bias from the front end, whether it's job ads, whether it's, it's having a diverse pool. One of the recommendations we often challenge companies on in a job ad would be question your language around expertise, get clear, but challenge your perception that somebody needs 20 years experience to do that. Challenge your perception that somebody is younger and they can't do that. In the same breath, I will say that in the older generation, find out what their experience is. Get curious how they feel. Are there certain uh, behaviors? Are there certain values that you think are perpetuating a bias or stereotype? I was once speaking at an event in Scotland and a young woman at the end of the event, we were talking about unconscious bias. And she said, I am a product, basically. I'm a positive outcome of a gender-blind CV process. But what it was is it wasn't only gender. It was a blind interview process, meaning that when they, when she walked into the room and she shared, you know, I, I, I was one of the last candidates for the role and I was in the short list and I walked into the interview. Nobody was aware of my gender. They had no idea her education, how many years she worked. And she said, I walked into the room and they burst out laughing. She said they were, they were so shocked that she was from Spain. She walked in the room and they thought based on how she performed in this test and, and also in the interview process that she would be a middle-aged man. 
And she said, you know, I was in my early 30s. I came in. I had, you know, engineering background. I have three kids. She said, I, on paper, they would have probably not taken me serious. But because I was part of this blind interview process, they were shocked. And so it really disrupted their bias. And I asked her, are you happy? She got the job. She said, I had no idea I was in demand as being, you know, an engineer. And so it was a recruiting firm that really took the lead on bringing, Mm. vetting these candidates, Mm. but removing the potential for bias and then bringing um, her into the interview. She's very happy, but I would say that she had a number of factors that were working against her and in terms of bias potential bias. And by doing that, they could reduce a lot of it. Right. And that's, that's the onus as well, right? On recruiters, right? When pitching mm-hmm. and not mentioning the name, you're saying these are the qualifications. And some people just upon hearing that this is a woman da, 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 would have their filters on and would have just said no. So that was also, I guess, kudos to the recruiter. And this reminds me of that story, um, that movie, The Intern with uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, and how he brought value to the company. And, and that yes. was a very interesting one. So, but yeah, thanks. Thanks again for this. Um, it's a whole new new thing and I'm so I'm so glad the studies are being done and that people are wary about these considerations because it really is a good mix right of people knowing because your customers come from different age groups right so if you only have a certain kind of workforce they'll only be able to see your products and services from yeah and you're missing out on business right yes. if you if you don't know how to appeal to other other people as well um, yeah. so on that note Thanks very much. And is you guys, any final thoughts, Alison? No, but I think your point right there was a great final thought. We have to reflect the marketplace we serve. And for companies, this should be the focus, especially if you're a consumer goods company. You cannot afford to not get that insight and that, that input from all generations. Right. Alison Zimmerman, Executive Director at Catalyst, talking about gendered ageism. Uh, (laughs) You've been listening to Her Vantage, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.